Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Wednesday morning to you. Welcome to All Marine Radio. The never-ending incredible story of All Marine Radio. Yep. So, I was waiting for my daughter last night. So, I turned on Tucker Carlson. He's about the only thing that I will watch on a consistent basis. And um, and last night he did <laughs> he did a program on an Axios story, and um, the Axios story is about a Chinese spy uh, that begins to do work in uh, the Bay Area. 
and becomes, you know, enrolls in college and then uh, and then goes to work as a volunteer in Democratic campaigns, ultimately uh, being a money handler and a quote unquote bundler, bundler. Okay, so what exactly is a political bundler? Let me read you. Let me read you the definition of it. This is from NPR. As campaigns gobble up even more cash, bundlers rank high in the power structure of American politics. Bundlers are a hot commodity. As the candidates chase after more and more cash, they're turning to super fundraisers known as bundlers for help. They organize and collect campaign contributions from donors. The checks are often delivered to the campaign in a bundle, hence the name. Sometimes bundlers are called raisers or fundraisers. That distinguish them from writers of checks. As a campaign gobbles up more and more cash, bundlers rank high in the power structure of American politics. They are hot commodities because campaign spending has outstripped the traditional ways of raising cash. Under federal law, an individual can give a candidate $2,300 for the primary and another $2,300 for the general election. For 2008, imagine that, most presidential candidates have budgets around $500 million. So even if all donors max out, each candidate would need to find some 220,000 wealthy supporters. That mission is beyond the reach of even high-tech, fully-staffed campaigns. So the campaign builds networks of bundlers to solicit their friends and colleagues. Bundlers work phones and stage events. Sometimes they get checks. Sometimes they recruit other bundlers. All the money counts towards the original bundler's tally at the campaign headquarters. So is that how campaign money works? Nobody gives more than $2,300 to a campaign? Oh, well, that then there's the political action groups, right? So the story is, um, if you if you do a search under... And he's a pretty high-profile guy, right? Eric Swalwell. Okay. <laughs> um, so the original story is in Axios. So I would refer you. I would refer you to that story. Uh, this is uh, entitled Axios Investigates. So Axios is a website, right? And it has risen to prominence in, what, the last five years? Exclusive. 
suspected Chinese spy targeted California politicians. Written by Bethany Allen Ibrahamian and Zach Dorfman of the Aspen Institute. A suspected Chinese intelligence operative developed extensive ties with local and national politicians, including U.S. congressmen, in what U.S. officials believe was a political intelligence operation run by China's main civilian spy agency between 2011 and 2015, Axios found in a year-long investigation. Why it matters. The alleged operations offer a rare window into how Beijing has tried to gain access to and influence U.S. political circles. While this suspected operative's activities appear to have ended during the Obama administration, concerns about Beijing's influence operations have spanned President Trump's time in office and will continue to be a core focus for U.S. counterintelligence during the Biden administration. The woman at the center of the operation, a Chinese national named Fang Fang, or Christine Fang, as she was known here in the United States, targeted up-and-coming local politicians in the Bay Area and across the country who had the potential to make it big on the national stage. Through campaign fundraising, extensive networking, personal charisma, and romantic or sexual relationships with at least two Midwestern mayors, Fang was able to gain proximity to political power according to current and former U.S. intelligence officials and one former elected official. Even though U.S. officials do not believe Fang received or passed on classified information, the case was a big deal because there were some really, really sensitive people that were caught up in the intelligence network, according to a senior U.S. intelligence official. Private but unclassified information about government officials, such as their habits, preferences, schedules, social networks, even rumors about them, is a form of political intelligence. Collecting such information is a key part of what foreign intelligence services do. Right? Pretty basic stuff. Used for blackmail. Hey, all we want you to do is this. Right? All we want you to do is this. Just do this and we'll leave you alone. And that is that sets the hook. Right? That's how you get compromised. Um, among the most significant targets of Fang's effort was Representative Eric Swalwell, who ran for president here most recently. Fang took part in fundraising activity for Swalwell's 2014 re-election campaign. According to a Bay Area political operative and a current U.S. intelligence officials, Swalwell's office was directly aware of these activities on its behalf. The same political operative who witnessed Fang fundraising on Swalwell's behalf found no evidence of illegal contributions. The Federal Election Commission records don't indicate Fang herself made donations, which are prohibited from foreign nationals. She helped place an intern, who's assumed to be a Chinese operative, in Swalwell's office, according to those same two people. Now, he gets elected to the House, and he's a member of the House Intelligence Committee. What? Right? 
Bang left the country unexpectedly in mid, I think expectedly when you're compromised, in mid-2015 amid the investigation. She did not respond to multiple attempts by Axios to reach her by her email and Facebook accounts. So, um, so, you know, so again, and then you can imagine that the Trump administration, right? Um, what's her name? Haley McEnany, right? She says the president for four years has been drugged through the streets. I'm paraphrasing now with the accusations of Russian collusion, and here the whole time it's been the Democrats and the Chinese. Um, what's going to be interesting, you know, is uh, how President Biden, um, how President elect Biden will navigate all of this, you know, and the same thing with Iran. Is he going to, there is this, there's, Iran is isolated, Europe has pulled back. They made overtures to, you know, this is how we we believe, these are the things we need you to do, what, six months or so ago, relative to the, you know, nuclear agreement, and Iran said, yeah, we're not doing it, you better help us, or, um, so Europe has pulled back, you see an alignment of the Arab nations and Israel, for the love of God, who would ever have thought that would happen, and now the question will be, will Joe Biden rescue Iran from all of that and restart a failed agreement. Um, So I guess we shall see. We shall see. I think he will face uh, intense pressure not to do that. He will face that from uh, Arab leaders in the Middle East. And again, when I say Arab leaders, just so you know if you're not familiar, um, that does not include Iran. Not an Arab country. It's a Persian. It's Persian. It's Iranian. It's not Arab. So, um, yeah. So, you, you know, I'm sure that he will hear. You know that uh, that do not do not turn back from you know the course that we have that we're embarked on. So, um, so it'll be interesting. And then, what will he do with with China? So one of the things I want to do today in the second hour, it's I, every once in a while I just kind of clear my desk of things that I've saved to share. And so, I don't know, there's probably three different articles. Uh, one is called China is Both Weak and Dangerous. That's about a book that's come out. Uh, there's another one called Return to Normalcy. Headline is, there will be no return to normalcy. And then they kind of look into what we perceive as normalcy. And then John Ratcliffe, the director of national intelligence, he uh, he he penned a piece in the Wall Street Journal the other day, and it says China is national security threat number one. And uh, so, in the second hour, and then I want to share a story with you that that happened to me yesterday. Um. And again, it's just, uh, it will highlight for you um, how amazing, um, how amazing 
uh, I don't know how I say it. Um, this thing that, that I've begun to do uh, two years ago, post-traumatic winning, um, how amazing it is. Um, and so I'm yesterday, I'm walking my dogs, and I'm wire brushing somebody who forgot my birthday, who says they never forget anything. And so I had to make it a point to wire brush them. And um, and so we were talking. And so uh, I get off the phone, and I'm walking with Jack and Joe. And yesterday, I don't know, close to 80 here in Southern California. And um, so uh, I get this email, and I begin to, to look at the email and the thing is like war and peace man it's like um it's like the longest email anybody's ever sent to me in my in my life uh and i'll share some of it with you okay and 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 i and i share it you know because the more i i the more time i spend doing this Right, the more conversations I have with people, the more I'm convinced of a number of things. One is most of us don't have, you know, a serious mental health problem. Right. And, you know, statistically you can go you can go read and you can you can go figure that out. Um The next thing is I would I would tell you is most of us don't get the help we're looking for when we go to mental health. And um, and I think that's for a couple of reasons. I think, you know, one, we don't have a serious mental health issue. And then two, you have the people that treat us, very well-intentioned people, and they are taking us down the whole Freudian hole. Now, I mean, some people think that's a good thing. Um, the feedback that I get on a consistent basis is I stop going. Okay. In fact, again, I, I say this and again, I don't say it to be critical, but I'm, I'm not afraid to like tell the truth. You know, it is what it is, but uh, mental health providers, um, I think a lot of times they don't help people. And, and, you know, to, to say that, as um, a statement of fact, I would say. I don't know. I feel like somehow or other I'm not supposed to say that. But the vast majority of people I know will tell you that I went and it didn't really didn't really help me. Okay. And so, anyway, so my experience doing this is that the vast majority of us, 90 plus percent, don't have a serious mental health health problem we are struggling with life life has sent us into the valley of the shadow of death and you know somebody wants to medicate us and you know you know give us hope that we'll get through there and if you think you're going to get through the valley of the shadow of death uh, medicated and wandering around down there, um, I have some bad news for you. You're you're not. 
as good as good as good as it gets down there is that you fake it. Um, as good as it gets is that you fake it, and hopefully you can do that for for your your entire life. And I don't know if you find solace elsewhere, but that's so. So what I what happens to me is I continue to encounter people that have gone you know down that road. And then they hear post-traumatic winning, which is a <laughs> a truth-based, here you go, here's a path, go do good things. And they're like, holy shit. So, uh, I'll read you a little bit of this. Good afternoon. Now, mind you, I don't, I don't know this person. I've listened to your podcast over the past year, on and off and emailed you recently thanking you for being there for everyone. One thing you do in particular, post-traumatic winning, and in particular the last few podcasts regarding adverse childhood experiences, really brought back some memories of my childhood and my failure. While I understand that may be, in particular, post-traumatic winning may not apply to me fully, I've been trying for years to tell someone how I really feel inside. I have seen professionals in the past, but it never amounted to anything really. I married to my best friend. And my wife and me have been together for about 20 years. We have three boys. I'm 46. I have nothing to complain about. My life is good, but yet I have a feeling of failure. Let me explain. And most of all, thank you for reading. And then in parentheses, listening. And then he goes on, he talks about his life. Um, You know, he grew up, I think like most kids. Mom had a spoon, you know. (laughs) When he got in trouble, he got the spoon. The wooden spoon, right, hanging in the kitchen. Um, and then his family falls apart. And so he becomes a teenager and, uh, says, I was never guided in any particular direction. My, and his mother was kind of the intellectual inspiration of his life, but she never kind of pushed him in any direction. She wanted good grades on my report card, and that's what I gave her. In high school, I met one of my best friends who was a metalhead just like me, listening to bands like Slayer. Is it Decide? Morbid Angel, Metallica, Megadeth, and the like. We both were looking for ways to get out of our home lives. His was terrible in comparison to mine, which reinforces the whole adverse childhood events thing, right? Pretty typical. So we both looked at the military as an escape. They go down to the recruiter's office. He ends up, his friend ends up joining the Navy. And he said he'd go with him. The Navy recruiter did his best to try and sign me up. I ended up talking to all the recruiters except the Coast Guard. But the Marine Corps just stood out as the best in everything when compared to the other branches. 
The Marine Corps didn't promise me anything other than coming out of boot camp tougher and smarter than going in. So I signed up and headed to Paris Island. So I'll abbreviate the next part. The next part is he doesn't know it, but he's had stomach issues in the past. He has Crohn's disease, which at the time is a little known disease. It's now much more right, uh, prevalent. So um, he comes home. Uh, he meets his wife, and they begin their life. He's a truck driver. He's a uh, hazmat driver, a tanker driver. And he has an accident at work. And then, like much of this kind of stuff, he has to litigate the shit out of it to get what he, you know, what he deserves the insurance company to do. And this is what insurance companies do that is really shitty. Right? If the settlement's too big or whatnot, um, and they don't want to pay it, they drag your ass through courts forever. Forever. And, um, so, it takes him five years. Finally wins. But financially, right, it crushes them as he can't work, they're not paying, blah, 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 blah. All right, so he goes, after that ends, he hasn't worked, so he has a tough time finding a job. Then somebody finally hires him. His first day going to work, somebody rear-ends him, going 30 miles an hour. And his back is he's jacked. So now he's, now he's a stay-at-home dad, wife works, right, and helping to raise or raising, he and his wife, three sons. He now the primary raiser of, of his son. So I find myself dealing with a role reversal, if you will. My wife is working, supporting our family. I'm at home raising our kids. Not something I ever thought would happen. I was raised to accept the role of work with your wife staying at home to raise the kids. I've spoke, spoken to my pastor. He's helped me understand that my role is an important one. He grew up like I did, understanding that the male role is essentially the head of the household. I keep faith in God and Jesus and try to live and raise my kids the best I can. I've never (laughs) written this stuff to anybody. And I don't know... And don't know why I chose to do this with you. I think that you will not judge me for my failure, maybe, question mark. Your podcasts give me hope and understanding that I haven't heard from any other place, exclamation mark. I love my church and my pastor, but this is something I feel you can understand. I am in no way stating that this that my life is hopeless, 
but I can't shake my failures. And every day that I wake up, I think about what could have been alluding to his life as a Marine. And if he hadn't been hurt, right? I've been told that God has a plan for all of us and he teaches us lessons in the hardest of times. I also think that God has made people like yourself to help let others understand that life sucks and we must continue to push forward. Thank you for being there for me, Mac. I don't know why your podcast was put in my life, but I just know that I listen to every podcast, sometimes several times. Please keep spreading the good word, and thank you for reading this from a complete stranger. <laughs> so yeah, so I call him, and I go to voicemail. So I leave, I leave a nasty message. Hey, man. What's up sending me to voicemail? Or I don't know, some shit that I would say. And so he calls me back. And uh, and we have a conversation. And I have to tell you that, I mean, these conversations are some of the most incredible conversations uh, I ever have in my life. And they are... Uh, incredibly inspiring for me and they all follow a very similar path and that is life sends somebody into the valley of the shadow of death can happen when you're young can happen when you're older age is really irrelevant and uh, and they struggle because life's tough and then other things happen so it's not a single event one and done it's multiple events tends to be way life is and um and they do go looking for help and they don't get it and so i think we i mean we have to take a hard look at mental health what are they doing and i think we you know we i i again i think mental health is a bit of a racket It's part of the sanctioned way that we don't help people that are struggling. But the, 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 the important part about it is, right, it's all blessed, nobody's getting sued, and that's the way insurance and big medicine works. And big pharma, right? So the way when you struggle, the path, right, to the statistics that we have is, one, you go to, quote-unquote, therapy. Okay? Your therapist then decides if you need to be medicated. Right? Now, if you think the opioid epidemic in this country is only about physical pain, then you need to do a little reading. So then we begin to prescribe medications. Now, remember that most people don't have a serious mental illness. Now, so, need something to sleep? Okay. But is there a plan so that we do minimal doses till we get you through this, then we, we get you back on your feet? I would tell you a lot of times, no. And because we're not very good patients... One of the things that happens is we go down that road. 
and we go into the valley of darkness, and now we're medicated down there. Hmm. I guess maybe you don't see the danger in the valley. Maybe somehow or other that medication numbs you to the impact, but it's certainly not the path to a great life. But that's the way we do it. And then you can come and talk about this stuff as often as you want. Where is that taking us? Where is all of that taking us? And my experience constantly is not to a very good place. Not to a very good place. So I would say that, that my experience is that failure, that therapy fails for most people. It does not take them to a good place. And this email is, is emblematic of that. You know, so as, as we talk, you know, the first thing we talked about was failure. What's failure? You know, I failed because I, I couldn't get through recruit training. Uh, no, you didn't. I know people that failed at recruit training. And you would not be one of them. Okay? Failure is that you quit. You know, the advice I give to people that are going to go to recruit training or officer candidate school, don't quit. Keep putting one foot in front of the other, and at some point, somebody will come and tell you to stop. Okay? Because nothing lasts forever in the Marine Corps. If you'll put one foot in front of the other... At some point, somebody says, stop, don't quit. Is that it? Yeah, don't quit. No matter what, do not quit. Okay? Don't forget that. No matter what, do not quit. So so to me, failure at Officer Candidate School and recruit training are the people that that uh, are the people that quit? It's a test of your will and determination. It is certainly not a test of your of your intellect, right? A test of your character. Will you quit? Can we make you quit by giving you a diff- by making your life difficult? By screaming at you, that low bar, can we get you to quit? If we can quit, we don't need If you'll quit over that, we do not need you. And it's it's time-tested way, right? Time-tested way. So, so that's the first discussion. And then the second thing, you know, I, I, I bitched at him about was, was this, was this sentence, right? And again, this is an assumption of people. While I understand that maybe in particular post-traumatic winning may not apply to me fully. And I said, what is, what the fuck does that mean? He goes, well, you know, you, you know, I'm, I'm like, no, don't have Haven't you paid attention? And then I, then it dawns on me. He hasn't seen the presentation. And so then I kind of dialed my shit back. I said, no, it's for anybody. Right. I could have learned these lessons. The things that I've learned relative to post-traumatic winning, um, I could have learned from anybody. I could have learned from victims of sexual assault. They would have told me the same story. I could have learned from victims of um, rape. 
I could have learned from victims of domestic violence. I could have learned from people that watch people they love die slowly of terminal illnesses. I could have learned all the same lessons. So, you know, post-traumatic winning is a set of universal truths, in my opinion. And the way out of the valley of the shadow of death, right, is the post-traumatic winning compass and map that we issue when you before you go into the valley of death. And what makes me happy are people like you've heard on this program, Parker, you've heard, you haven't heard, Stacy, right? But post-traumatic winning is the map and the compass that takes you out of the valley of the shadow of death. And it also issues you, right, a shotgun and a pistol (laughs) and a rifle so that you can get through the valley of the shadow of death, right? So post-traumatic winning is an armory that sits at the entrance of the valley of the shadow of death. It's there for anybody. The truths are universal. They have, you know, they have no relation to the military other than that's where I learned them. But they're for anybody. And so um, we had just this absolutely wonderful conversation. And it centered around him, you know, his feelings of failure the way life is shit on him. And not that, you know, he doesn't, he, he said, you know, m- my wife's my best friend. Not everybody says that. They love, you know, most people love their spouses, but not everybody says that my spouse is my best friend. I mean, they will if you push them to in public, right? Because they know they got to say that. And, um, you know, but, you know, I said, yeah, man, you're lucky. Not everybody has that. But but you still suffer. And one of the things we talked about, and I talked about this with my daughter the other day, was is that, you know, it's easy to talk about this shit when it doesn't apply to you. But it's really fucking hard to do it. It's really hard to do it. And... um you know, and and the response you get to that is, amen, man. Amen. And and so, out of the blue, while walking my dogs. I have this incredible conversation with somebody who I didn't know other than I'd got an email, a very short email thanking me for what I do. No problem, man. And so I said, hey, I'm going to send you five links to be able to watch the presentation. And he said, okay. And let me know what you think. And then as you begin to save other people, people just like you that have gone down the same path, 
that, you know, life has taken them into the valley of the shadow of death. And the things that they've looked to for answers, which so many of us do, don't give them answers that resonate in their heart, in their mind. They don't resonate. And so they just resort to, you know, faking it. A lot of people resort to numbing themselves. And they, they're down there in the valley of the shadow of death stumbling. Well, there's a way out. I'm going to tell you that right now. There's a way out. And again, the example is the example of the Hanoi Hilton. There's a way out. And all the people that I've met, and that is, you know, you give your way out of that valley. That's truly the path out of it. And so, um, so no, I mean, I just have to tell you how um, absolutely incredible my life is. I, um, again, walking my fucking dogs, Jack and Joe, um, on a beautiful day here in Southern California, all of a sudden your day takes a turn and you can't even, you know, so my daughter got, got home, Colleen had class last night. So Colleen comes home. And I said, read this email. And she reads it. And she's like, she just looks at me and she shakes her head and she smiles. Because she's heard these stories before, right? She's heard these stories before. And, um, but I mean, Colleen's gone through her own test, right? All the infrastructure that supports her as a young person vanishes. No sports practices, no going to school, and all of a sudden you're alone. So, I mean, and I think, um, and I'd give everybody that's a parent out there some advice. Um, sit down and talk to your kids. How you doing? Because I, I will tell you, I mean, uh, Colleen's a pretty good student. And I know that she struggles with this. So, you know, whether they emit it or not, don't think that yours isn't struggling either. Because what they know to be normal ain't there anymore. And that isn't easy to deal with. That is not easy to cope with. So, um, but again, you know, what do you want to, um, what do you want to do with all that? Is do you want to sit and whine about it and bitch about it, and that's the way this thing is going to ultimately work, or will will you teach them that there's a way? You know, there's a way to get through this, and that way is to talk about it and then to help other people. So, I mean, I th- I think it's it's incredibly, honestly, I mean, it's it's amazing. Um, it's amazing. Uh, this thing that I do on a on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, uh, I you know all the different experiences I have on a weekly basis are <laughs> um, absolutely amazing. So, um, with all that said, good morning to you on this Wednesday morning, the ninth day of December of uh, the year of COVID, and hopefully. Uh, what did I just read from the Wall Street Journal? Canada authorizes use of Pfizer BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine, 
with inoculations to begin as soon as next week. So I think uh, a moment that uh, all of us have been waiting for, and that is these drugs uh, finally being approved, uh, researched, validated, and brought to market. And uh, and uh, it's moving in the United States. Um, I read yesterday in the journal that said that hopefully by this weekend there would be um, that there would be approval here in the United States, vaccine already moving, blah, 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 blah. So, um, you know, hopefully that uh, this is the, a turning point where we begin to inoculate those most at risk and um, and then life can get back to some semblance of normalcy. So if we inoculate the teachers, the kids can go back to school. We inoculate the medical professionals, right, um, then, you know, they're safe. We inoculate those most at risk, um, and there certainly will be a some sort of pecking order for that. Then to me, everybody else, right, gets through this. And uh, and so, you know, general population inoculation is not really right the issue. It's inoculating those that are most at risk. So hopefully that'll happen in the short term, and then most of this stuff can go away. I, I will tell you, um, if you look around the country, people are people are sick and tired of it. People are absolutely sick and tired of it. And, and and then the hypocrisy of these shitbag politicians, I think, is, you know, getting people, you know, dare I say up in arms? Dare I say up in arms? And I want to say there was a there was a, a scathing decision written by a judge in L.A., about these um, a California judge issued a ruling yesterday that said Los Angeles County acted arbitrarily and without rational justification when it banned outdoor dining late last month Quote, the restaurant closure order is an abuse of the department's emergency powers, is not grounded in science, evidence, or logic, and should be adjudicated to be unenforceable as a matter of law, wrote Los Angeles Superior Court Judge James Calfont in a tentative ruling. The ruling was seen as a symbolic victory for restaurants and a rebuke to Los Angeles County public health officials hoping to control a recent COVID-19 surge. Calfant noted that due to the state's overriding regional stay-at-home order through the Christmas holiday, outdoor dining in the county cannot reopen at this time. County officials said they vehemently disagreed with the judge's tentative order that was finalized following an afternoon hearing. Attorney Amnon Siegel, who represented the county, argued during the meeting that an economic analysis of Calfant that the judge had requested was not required by law and a borderline impossible task. 
in the ruling, Calvent wrote that the outbreak data provided to the court showed that cases related to bars and restaurants made up just 3.1% of the non-residential outbreak locations, and the vast, major- the vast majority of which were chain fast food restaurants that mostly involved employees instead of customers, a paper report. The judge added that L.A. County, quote, could be expected to consider the economic cost of closing 30,000 restaurants, the impact to restaurant owners and their employees, and the psychological and emotional costs to a public tired of the pandemic. The ruling was issued following a legal challenge from the California Restaurant Association. On Tuesday, CEO Jot Condi argued that the California public health officials were closing restaurants without substantial scientific evidence. For nine months now, we've listened to our public health officials tell us that these shutdown orders are based on or they were guided by evidence and science. And we have an L.A. County department who has essentially targeted the restaurant industry as if it were responsible for the latest outbreak of the pandemic when the evidence proves otherwise. Interesting. Um, yeah, and, and so, you know, the, an American public is watching that and then they see the um, the hip, the hypocrisy of politicians. And, you know, again, if you're not smart enough, if you, you know, if you have high comorbidity factors, to stay away from all that. I don't know what this I don't know I don't know what to say, you know. I don't know what to say to you. You know. And at some point this becomes a little bit Darwinian, right? If you can't figure that out, you know, and again, I'll take my friend Kim as an example. He can hear the Grim Reaper out in the street calling his name, Kimmy. You know, with his uh with his, you know, diabetes and, and his heart condition and all the rest of that. <laughs> he said, Mac, I can hear him. He's screaming my name. Yeah. And so as a result, what has Kim done? He stays at home. His wife goes out to run errands. He goes with her, sits in the car. That's as good as it gets. So anyhow, um, and again, this is... I, I, it, in our country, it's as Orwellian as Orwellian can get. The government has never had the power because it can never communicate with everybody individually. I got I got a text message yesterday from L.A. County. From L.A. County or Orange County? I don't know. I deleted it. You know, telling me that, you know, stay-at-home order. I'm not staying at home. I don't and and when I go walk my dogs, I don't wear a mask. Like it's me and my dogs. Like why would I wear a mask? You know, I walk down the I walk 3 blocks through neighborhoods. I walk through a park. I walk around the Orange County Fairgrounds and like, come on. At any point am I supposed to use my own common sense? Answer to that? Yeah, no. Just listen to Gavin Newsom. Yeah, that guy. The guy who goes to Big time restaurants. After he tells everybody not to, the guy, the guy who won't allow kids to go to school, but his kids are going to school. It's like you know, it's bullshit. But we're not, you know, I, I, honestly, a lot like therapy. We're not supposed to say that. 
You're not supposed to stand up and say, you know what? I think most therapy's bullshit. What? Oh, you know, who is he? He's an idiot. Blah, 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 blah. Look, good is good. A lot of people in that business don't help anybody. How do I know that? Because I talk to them all the fucking time. So, but you're not supposed to say that. I'm not supposed to apply common sense to all that. So, and again, my, my experience with mental health, you know what most people need? A coach. They need a coach that looks at them and say, hey, you can get through this. Sit down. Let me talk to you. Let me show you. And they don't take them, take you down some Freudian nonsense. They look at you and say, these are the real world things you're going to have to do. And if you won't do these things, expect to stay where you're at. But if you will do these things, let me give you a glimpse to what your life is going to be like. And that's what I told the guy who emailed me yesterday. I sent him an email and I said, your life is about to change in a big way. Okay, when I do this, at some point, I'll do it in Boston, which is where he lives. And I want you to come to it. Um, he's going to, hell, he'll probably introduce the son of a bitch. And you're going to begin to help other people and watch what happens to your life. And you're going to send me an email and say, I can't believe the shit that's going on in my life. So anyway, that's what most people need. Most people need a coach. They don't need a ther- they don't need a Freudian therapist. Sit down, lay on my couch here. All right, when you go to therapy with Mac, you know, here's what you hear. All right, listen the fuck up. <laughs> listen the fuck up. That's what you hear. And you have a conversation. So anyway, so good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band makes this Wednesday official. The Mensa Brothers with us tomorrow. We'll talk about, uh, and I'll, I'll give you my opinion. I don't believe that we need another uniform, wavered uh, guy as a Secretary of Defense. What? This is dedicated to a dude named Jeff <laughs> who's about to go change um, people's lives. Um, thanks for the email, Jeff. Uh, 
Thank you for the conversation. And I just want you to know that you don't need to hope uh, that there's a better place anymore. I will tell you with certainty there is. You, by listening, you understand the path. Now, get the fuck down that path, man. And then go do great things for other people and go change your life. So, this is dedicated to Jeff. Um, Should have been a Marine. Would have been a Marine. And, uh, but you know what? Life didn't work out like that. Like that. And so, uh, so God bless you, Jeff. Thanks for calling. And uh, don't fuck it up. betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly once you're out of the core you know it's your responsibility to live your life in a way that would honor those that were with you and died i mean don't waste your life goodness do something meaningful and and don't be going out there saying look oh woe is me i'm a poor veteran or i'm disabled veteran well yeah i am a disabled veteran but you know we 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 can't have that kind of attitude we we've got to show people that hey we care about our country we care we care about what happens to everybody everyone brain core changed me it made me a better man but i don't know a marine that wouldn't tell you the same thing mike we just have to execute and we are executing every day, and Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't. We don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago: persevere against difficult, challenging conditions and odds, and win. We got to win. Time for us to check the weather, and then we'll check some news headlines. And uh, well, before we check the news, I want to give you an opinion. 
Um, currently, oh, Sacramento's in here. What's not in here? Camp Smith and Okinawa dropped out. Yeah, to honor my high school baseball coach, Okinawa got put in there. Or Sacramento got put in there. Sacramento's got to go. How about Okinawa? Okinawa Shima. All right. Currently, in Quantico, it is partly sunny in 41. Marine Corps Base Camp Lejeune down the coast, partly sunny, 51. 29 Palms, foggy in 53. Are we sure? It's never foggy in the desert. Uh-oh. Camp Pendleton, partly sunny in 56. Wait, did I miss Hawaii? Somehow other Camp Smith and Hawaii has dropped out of my, <laughs> my Rolodex, too. So, we'll go down to Darwin. No, we'll go to Okinawa. Oh, that's what happened. Remove. I have to remove. I had to remove Sacramento. Camp Smith. What the hell, man? How could it... uh... How could Camp Smith not exist? Camp Holland M. Smith? No results found. Marine Corps Base, Camp Smith? Now, hey, so... Marine Corps Base, Camp Smith? It's not coming up. Huh. It's gone forever, I guess. What the hell, man? Okinawa, dark raining in 68. Darwin, clear dark in 82. Up in Norway, it is dark cloudy in 36 at the home of Almering Radio. This morning, it is partly sunny and 59 degrees. And uh, here in the uh, Southern California area, uh, we're going to get a cooling trend that will take us down to the low 60s um, by the end of the week. So uh, today, the high, 69 degrees. Tomorrow, 63, Friday 62, and then we get up to 70 by Sunday. So that is a look at your weather. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. And I want to talk about General Austin, and I want to link it to kind of a broader discussion that goes on here with the uh, the Mensa sisters 
And so uh, we'll talk about that as I wax eloquent here on a uh, on a Wednesday. But uh, I don't think General Smith ought to be confirmed. Now, I think he will be because you're going to see senators get uh, get accused of being racist because they won't do for a black man what they did for General Mattis. Um, but that's not my argument. That's uh, that those will be the cosmetic political bullshit that gets said. Uh, there's a there's a there's a greater reason why he shouldn't be the next Secretary of Defense, and uh, we'll talk about that coming up next, right here on uh, your home for more enlightened conversation, the All Marine Radio Network. Yeah, we used to get together every week. She's been home from her last deployment for months now, and I haven't seen her once. He's just been different since he got back from Iraq. One minute he's ready to go, and the next he doesn't want anyone around. The nightmares are back and seem to be getting worse. Shouldn't he be sleeping better after all these years? A lot of people don't understand what veterans go through during their service or when they come back. And that's okay. But everyone can help. You can make a difference in the life of a veteran. You stood by us when we were in uniform. So stand by us now. Like my brother did when he wouldn't take no for an answer. Like my wife did when she asked the right questions. Like my friend did when she made the call. Take a stand for those who served our country. If you're a veteran in crisis or no one who is, the Confidential Veterans Crisis Line is here for you. Call 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Chat at veteranscrisisline.net or text 838-255. America's service members and veterans are strong, forged out of bravery, sacrifice, and duty. They are diverse, unique, from all corners of the country. And thanks to their common experience a family for life. But whether they served in lands far away or communities close to home, some of these men and women may face difficult times or even crisis. But sometimes reaching out for help can be the most challenging and worthwhile mission of all for veterans, service members, reserve, and National Guard. Thankfully, friends, family, and communities are standing by their service members and veterans now more than ever. We're all in this together. When you recognize something isn't right, make the call to the Veterans Crisis Line or Military Crisis Line. During times of crisis, reach out and call. Dial 1-800-273-8255 and press 1 or chat online at veteranscrisisline.net or text 838-255. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Our veterans put everything on the line to protect our freedom. We may never be able to repay them for their sacrifice, but we can show them just how much we appreciate all they've done. You can help by simply sharing your time, lending a warm smile, a supportive hand, or a sympathetic ear to someone who needs it. Everyone can do something to make veterans know just how much we appreciate their service. Please visit www.volunteer.va.gov. What will you do? We all share a common journey. We wanted to serve our country, stand for something bigger than ourselves, and Hi, I'm Colleen McNamara, and you're listening to my dad on All Marine Radio on the All Warrior Radio Network. If you listen to all those commercials, right, you would think Veterans are their own unmitigated special disaster, man. 
You know, and, and there's people that will tell you that part of that is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, nobody could understand me. Oh, it's so hard to get out of the Marine Corps. It's so hard to get out of the military and go get another fucking job. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I mean, shit, man. It's almost like, you know, breeding this culture of victims. This, you know, somehow or other you can go from being part of the 1% that's like, you're part of the 1% that serves, right? And now you can't, you can't, but, you know, you're not capable of, like, going, getting out and going and getting a job. Something that millions of people do. I mean, listen to the narrative. Oh. And relative to trauma. Instead of looking at people and saying, hey, yo, you're part of a group in this country, right, that had adverse, a lot of you had adverse childhood experiences, you've come in in the military, some of you have had more here, you got to learn how to deal with those, but let me tell you, there are more people outside those gates that have the exact same experiences than exist inside our culture, okay? So if you learn this stuff, you could probably go out there and help them. Yeah, think about that. How about that? Holy shit. Yeah. Who would have thunk? Yeah, I don't I don't know, man. Those all those commercials, it's like, oh, you know, they're so being a veteran is so hard. Yeah, whatever. Um it's not. Okay? You're exalted in the culture. You're honored in the culture. A lot of other people, nobody even gives a shit about if they're not veterans. So you are. So now we turn around and play the victim card? I'm struggling with that. All right, let me tell you about General Austin, why I'm, I'm against his nomination. Um, we have a problem in the United States. We cannot take a national strategy and we cannot implement it. And it's been going on for generations. Okay, if you looked at what we did in Vietnam, that dysfunction, obvious there. Okay, then we went through this extended period of time where we, you know, um, after Vietnam, when we really just uh, jousted with with the Soviet Union until its demise. And then... What's replaced the Soviet Union has been Islamic fundamentalism. And uh, we've gone to Afghanistan, and American foreign policy will will fail there. After, you know, how trillions of dollars pumped into Afghanistan? American, we will not have achieved our strategic goals because they were folly to begin with. Yeah, rather than looking at Afghanistan for what it is and saying it is not worth American effort and lives and money to go in there to make it anything else, so we're going to go and blow the shit out of it and we're going to tell whoever's left over, fuck with this again and see what happens. In fact, you don't even have to fuck with us. Stack two bricks on top of each other that we don't like and they're coming down, trust us. But oh no, we didn't do that. 
so we have a fundamental problem in this country of being able to 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 take our national power craft a strategy right that involves economic power military power and our foreign policy and then ultimately achieve what we're trying to achieve we failed in vietnam now what's funny is that you have jackasses amongst us that will say, well, ultimately, look what Vietnam is today. Well, what does that have to do with, what, 56,000 Americans that died there? Nothing. Because they went what they went to fight for, right, America walked away from. We went to Lebanon. Approximately 270 Americans died there. And what did we do? We left. We've gone to Afghanistan. We've gone to Iraq. The death toll between the two of them, between 7,000 and 8,000 Americans. What have we achieved there? Jury's still out on Iraq. We'll see what happens there. The jury's about to come in in Afghanistan, and that is the Taliban. And so will we go back to the way it ran before the United States got there, which is essentially, you know, wealthy warlords running the city, the Taliban running the countryside, right? And if you listen to the Mensa brothers, that's what the general assessment is. It will go back inside of its banks. All this foreign money will go away. Afghanistan will be what Afghanistan has always been. The crop of choice will be opium and it will go on because you can't dump enough money into that shithole to change it. And only Americans would be foolish enough to do that. So we have this problem that we can't craft a, a, a strategic vision and then get there. And we need to find a way to do that. And I would tell you this, it won't come out of the DOD. It will not come out of the DOD. So I'm against it. I'm against it. I'm, I'm sure General Austin is, is probably a very smart guy. In spite of his ISIS was a, is, is a JV event. Right after they took over much of Iraq and, and much of Syria, um, I uh, yeah, probably I don't. Again, that's attributed to him. Uh, so, but I think for for more substantial reasons that go back to to Vietnam, that we need to find civilians that have the credentials to think through these issues and link American power, not just military, American economic, American military, and foreign policy into a vision and then do the things necessary to make American power projection happen. So, and I don't, I don't think it's coming out of the Pentagon because let me tell you what I, what I, what I, here's my assessment, right, of generals, high-end conformists, very high-functioning conformists. 
And that's why you have Iraq, and that's why you have Afghanistan. All right, we don't need more of that. Nation doesn't need that. We need to find some brilliant people who understand strategic thinking, strategic thought, and then how to, you know, somebody in, in in the, you know, out of the bolt of cloth that George Marshall was cut from. But Mac, he was a general. Yes, I know that. I know that. Unique among them. Okay, unique among them. Um, and again, before Secretary Mattis, the only person ever, right, to uh, to go from being essentially the chairman to um, to uh, the uh, Secretary of Defense. So, anyway, I just don't think, uh, given the Pentagon's track record in wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, that the the person to lead that. It, lead this um, engagement of number one, China, number two, Iran, Russia, and number three, North Korea, that conglomerate is going to come out of the Pentagon. So, anyway. um, So, I'm not a fan of the idea. Uh, and, you know, people say, well, civilian control and all that. I, I just don't think the pred- the Pentagon breeds that human being. And I think all you have to do is look at the track record of the Pentagon. It's not good. It's failure after failure after failure after failure after failure. Landscape daughter with them. Why can't we use American power to achieve the end states that we desire? Good question. So uh, we'll probably talk about that tomorrow. Um, All right. uh, To the news we go. Yeah. Something lighter. The news. Um, Top stories in Stars and Stripes today. For the first time, the Navy will have a woman that commands an aircraft carrier. Her name is Captain Amy Bauerschmidt. She's a former Navy helicopter pilot. And then she commanded an amphib. What? That's... Okay, let me just tell you this. Now, I don't know her. I don't know much about the career. Ask me if I've ever heard of a captain of an aircraft carrier who's ever been a helicopter pilot and then an amphib captain answer to that is no okay answer to that is no she will be eligible for command in fiscal year 2022 so good luck to her all right good luck to her um, I've never seen that though. Most of the time, right? Um, you see them come out of the fixed wing community. The vast majority of them, I would tell you, are fighter pilots. 
right? And uh, bright guys who go on and then they begin to command ships. Yeah, I don't, I've never seen this though. But, uh, and let me tell you, I think the Navy desperately wants to have a female CNO. And they're looking to breed people to do that. So, anyway. Um, search continues for pilot missing after Tuesday night crash of an F-16 in Michigan. An F-16 Fighting Falcon pilot who ejected Tuesday night before the jet crashed in northern Michigan is still listed as missing. So keep your fingers crossed that they find him or her, that uh, something's wrong with the beacon and everything else ends well. Um, Army fires several Fort Hood leaders, including a two-star, following a probe that was triggered by several deaths on the base. Um, Fort Hood has been an absolutely unmitigated leadership disaster for the Army. Army Secretary Ryan McCarthy said Tuesday he had relieved or suspended 14 Army leaders at Fort Hood, including a two-star general, as a result of a probe into the command climate of the Texas installation. Wait a minute. This kind of goes back to um, the USS Roosevelt. So here you have a base, an installation commander, right? And then you also have a, you know, what is it? The third or the first cab is down there. I can't remember who's at Fort Hood, but that, that that unit has a commander too. So, and those commanding officers, they have like four generals between them and the secretary of the army. Why is he doing this? Quote, I have determined the issues at Fort Hood are directly related to leadership failures. McCarthy said at the Pentagon. Leaders drive culture and are responsible for everything the unit does or does not happen. I am gravely disappointed that leaders failed to effectively create a climate that treated all soldiers with dignity and respect. Major General Scott Eflant was the highest ranking soldier fired for his role in Fort Hood's problems. The leaders of Fort Hood of the Fort Hood Base 3rd Cavalry Regiment, its commander, Colonel Ralph Overland, and top enlisted soldier, Command Sergeant Major Bradley Knapp, were also fired. That's three. He also suspended leaders from Fort Hood's 1st Cavalry Division. Major General Jeff Broadwater, Command Sergeant Major Thomas Kenny, pending results of a new investigation into the unit's command climate, and implementation of the sexual assault prevention program. So that's five. They said 12. McCarthy appointed five civilians to investigate the base in July as part of the Fort Hood Investigation, Investigation Review Committee. So who are, that's five. There's seven more people that supposedly got fired. Pretty lengthy article. McCarthy said the charge, I'm sorry, the change recommended by the committee is meant to instill trust 
that the Army is serious about taking care of its people. Quote, this report, without a doubt, will cause the Army to change its culture. Even though we are part of one of the most respected institutions in the world, living up to the Americans' people, tr- Americans people's trust is something we have to do every day. I believe in this institution and its officers, non-commissioned officers, soldiers, civilians, and their families with every fiber of my being. I'm confident in our leaders' ability to overcome this challenge and continue to win our nation's wars despite also caring about our people. I will tell you this, the whole issue of discipline, the whole issue of discipline is is one of the issues. We're trying to make the military like the civilian world, and it is not going to happen. Everybody's got an excuse for why they can't do things. And until you say, sorry, that, sh- that dog don't hunt, right, um, it doesn't work. Uh, the U.S. Army Pacific Commander will be nominated to lead U.S. forces in Korea. His name is, is General Paul La Camara. So congratulations uh, to him. Uh, top stories in Wall Street Journal today are, uh, as uh, number one is, as vaccines roll out, states decide who gets priority, as it should be, right? Uh, Georgia Senate runoff elections trigger panic door knocking by both parties. Uh, the control of the federal government is at stake. The control of the federal government is at stake. So, yeah. And then there's a pretty interesting opinion piece, and that is China wants to be the world's banker. God help us. Right, God help us. You know, again, it, you know, again, as as this conflict between the United States and China, which is a global conflict, ultimately about will we live in a rules based world or will we live in a world where a totalitarian government attempts to bend every rule to its benefit? And let me tell you what gets us all there is greed. Everybody sells out because they want to go to China and make money. So greed gets us there, and the Chinese know that. We will leverage their greed, and it will it will bankrupt them. Pretty interesting little concept, eh? Well, that's what the Chinese are banking on. Uh, there's a report in U.S. Naval Institute News. Panel details global artificial intelligence arms race. Um, I think this is a bunch of nonsense. Let me tell you why. I don't think the United States um, is ever going to fight China. So this is just the latest, you know, let's throw our hands up in the air, blah, 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 right? Um. And I don't think it's ever going to happen, right? We're, I don't. Th- it's not in the American interest to go to war with the Chinese. It's not in the Chinese interest to go to war with the United States. Um, headline: Commandant of the Marine Corps Berger outlines how Marines could fight submarines in the future. <laughs> what? I guess all you have to do is replace. Uh, 
the Hellfire missile or whatever is in the missile pod to anti-submarine missiles. U.S. anti-submarine warfare capabilities. This is some, from something he wrote in the November issue of Proceedings Magazine. U.S. anti-submarine warfare capabilities in the air, on the surface, and under the sea rely on a brittle layer of logistical support. As Chinese and Russian undersea warfare capabilities continue to improve logistics and other supporting operations for U.S. anti-submarine warfare forces will grow in importance. Integrating cross-domain anti-submarine warfare operations into the Marine Corps' expeditionary advanced base EABO concept could enable the joint force to sustain or widen its advantage in anti-submarine warfare. Conducted across the spectrum of conflict, theater-level anti-submarine warfare is a campaign of sustained actions over time for undersea advantage. So, guarding rockets, not closing with killing submarines. Got it. Marine expeditionary advanced bases could make a significant contribution to undersea warfare campaigns, including holding Chinese and submarines Russians, uh, the, 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 holding Chinese and Russian submarines at risk. Um, there you have it. Your new Marine Corps, anti-submarines, not close combat. Um. President Macron announced the start of a new French nuclear aircraft carrier program. How about that? France has a military power. Who would have thought? Who will have thought? Uh, The USS Theodore Roosevelt departs San Diego for its second deployment of 2020. First saw them spend a couple months in Guam, which, uh, was, uh, which did not go well. Um, Let's see. Um, this is the uh, U.S. NI News Fleet and Marine Tracker. So here's where everybody is. The Ronald Reagan Battle Group is in Yokosuka. The uh, 15th Mew, which is the Macon Island Amphibious Ready Group, it would have been the Bonhomme Richard Amphibious Ready Group, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but they went. To, they went without. Uh, is in the Western Pacific, looks like, off the coast of Okinawa. Uh, the America, LHA, is in Sasebo, Japan. The Nimitz Carrier Strike Group is in the kind of central part of the Indian Ocean. Uh, the Eisenhower and the Gerald Ford are, uh, are looks like, off the coast of the Atlantic. USS Iwo Jima uh, is off the coast of North Carolina. The Roosevelt's in port. Just leaving the Carl Vinsons up the coast in port, and uh, the USS Essex is off the coast of California. So there's your fleet tracker. That's right, because we care. Um, next is uh, Marine Corps Times. We'll see if there's anything interesting in Marine Corps Times today. Um. These are old headlines, but uh, Marine Corps to release its tankers a year early. They can only be released if they have one year left on their contract. 
the Marine Corps canceled the combat fitness test. I just think it's a horseshit message. I, and, and so it's like, like we're not going to cancel it for the force. Everybody's going to do it. If you need a waiver because you can't because of COVID, then then apply for one. We'll grant it to you. But figure this the fuck out, right? Improvise, adapt, overcome. Have you heard that? Remember that? That used to be the way we lived our lives. This is too hard. And mind you, right? Take Max quiz. How many people on active duty have died of COVID? Answer one. Oh. So what are you trying to say, Matt? What I'm trying to say is one out of 1.3 million people on active duty. Do the math. I don't think you can, okay? Because if you divided one by 1.3 million, how many people on active duty? Um, It's probably more than that. How many people are on active duty in the U.S. military. 1.3 million. Okay? 1.3 million on active duty. Now, if you take your calculator, okay, and you say 1 divided by 1 and then 3, Zero, zero, and then three more zeros. Okay, so that's 1.3 million. Equals. I don't even know what that number is. Okay? It's 7.692307692307692, right? That's repeating. And then there's a dash sign, seven. I don't even know what the fuck that means. Somebody with a math major would have to explain it to me. Now, when I click on percent, right? Which I just did. I don't understand that either. It's 7.692307692307692E-11. I don't even know what the fuck that number is. But we have to cancel the physical fitness test because of it. (laughs) Right? Right? And, okay, let's, uh, let's recalibrate this. Everybody who thinks they can get through the physical, the, the combat fitness test, spread out, blah, blah, fucking blah, right? And get it done. And then if you can't request a waiver, we'll be happy to grant it to you. Okay? Boom. Doesn't that sound like something from the culture that gets shit done? Kind of to me, yes, it does. All right, let me do. Uh, <laughs> I, again, I don't get it, man. I don't fucking get it. They just had a picture of General Dunford doing this CFT. General Dunford, he fit, he's a pretty fit, dude. Um, yeah, always looked great in his uniforms. Right. Um. Let's see. Top five stories in early bird. Number one, House approves defense bill with veto-proof majority. And so what that what the National Defense Authorization Act calls for is renaming of U.S. military bases. Yeah. And the president said he'd veto it, and they just said, go ahead, make my day. Number two, Biden. 
Here's why I chose Lloyd Austin for defense secretary. So the president-elect uh, makes his case for General Lloyd Austin III. Um, number three, Biden's defense secretary pick raises concerns over recent military service. So this Military Times article in which they, I mean, there's been, you know, you heard me, you know, his his comment about ISIS was a JV event. Um, you have people that object because they don't want uh, to see this um, cabinet position dominated by former generals. You had Harry Reid say, uh, the the Senate Armed Service Committee ranking member, I'm sorry, Harry Reid, Jack Reid, who's a Democrat from Rhode Island, supported the move but announced in a hearing, I will not support a waiver for future nominees, nor will I support any effort to water down or repeal the statute in the future. So that's relative to the waiver. Uh, most people... Um, you know, would tell you that they enjoyed uh, Secretary Mattis as a secretary. Uh, here's a quote from John Tester from Montana. I thought Mattis was a great secretary, and I think this guy is going to be a great secretary of defense. I just think that we ought to look at all the rules. That's John Tester. Uh, Senator Richard Blumenthal, who's on the Senate Armed Service Committee, former Marine, all right, Got in trouble years ago when he claimed that he had served in Vietnam. Um, he praised Austin as a trailblazer throughout his exemplary military service, but added that I remain opposed to granting a waiver to anyone with significant recent military experience serving in this post because it contravenes the constitutional principle that demands civilian control of our military. You had this from a representative by the name who's been probably the most outspoken person, Alyssa Slotkin. I have deep respect for General Lloyd Austin. We worked together when he commanded U.S. forces in Iraq, when he was vice chief of the Army, and when he was CENTCOM commander. But choosing another recently retired general to serve in a role designed for a civilian just feels off. The job of Secretary of Defense is purpose-built to ensure civilian oversight of the military. That is why it requires a waiver from the House and Senate to put a recently retired military officer in the job. Mike Gallagher, Republican Wisconsin, Marine Corps veteran, said on Twitter, quote, Mattis waiver was supposed to be a one-off, not the start of a trend that's bad for civilian military relations. Representative Michael Walls, an Army veteran, wrote, Former generals as SECDEF should be the exception, not the norm. So we will see what happens. But uh, much in the news, right? And you will uh, hear more about that. Uh, 14 leaders relieved or suspended after scathing report on Fort Hood. I would be curious to, to look at those investigations. What what are they not doing? And so to me, it, it comes down to this climate of we don't want to enforce the rules. We don't want to we don't want to stick to the things that we're supposed to do. How do you create 
and a climate where the inmates are running the asylum. And again, it goes back to discipline. That which General Furness got absolutely annihilated for a couple years ago. But everybody knows it's the truth, right? Uh, Number five, this is in the Wall Street Journal. China claims to outpace U.S. militarily, American commanders say. Yeah. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back, and I want to. I want to talk about China. I want to share with you uh, uh, three different pieces. Uh, one is a question about return to normalcy, and uh, and then uh, one is both China is both weak and dangerous. Somebody sent me. I thought it was pretty good. And then um, China is national security threat number one. And we'll start with that. That's by John Radcliffe, appeared in the Wall Street Journal. He's the Director of National Intelligence. So we'll take a quick break. More of Almond Radio coming up next on a Wednesday right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network.